0: If you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, if you'll take it with me uh, this morning and turn to Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, hopefully there's one there in the pocket there in front of you, and I uh, encourage you to do that. Uh, as we get started in our message this morning, uh, again, I'm so thankful, Adam, for you and Ayla coming and uh, just being able for Krista and I to be able to spend some time with you yesterday. And Jacks, and uh, just thank you for encouraging us, but challenging us this morning from God's Word and, and that reminder to look up. Lift up our eyes, you know, to set... Paul wrote to the church at Colossus, he said, set your affection on things above. Right? And so the idea of lifting up our eyes, looking out to see what Jesus sees... In fact, I remember years ago, Chris. You'll remember, in some of our young marrieds who were in our class at the time, we did a missions display, and and the title of our display that year for missions revival was "Can You See What Jesus Sees?" Because his perspective is very different than ours. Many times, his ways and his thoughts are much higher than our ways and thoughts as Isaiah 55 tells us. But this morning, uh, let's turn to Galatians chapter 3 and we'll get started as we continue our series in uh, this precious letter from God's word. Father, we thank you for the time that we've already had to worship you. God, the time that we've had to give back our offerings to you and God, we pray that you'll take them and bless them, multiply them and use them for the furtherance of your kingdom and God, that you may be honored By our worship this morning. God, we thank you for the songs that were biblical and reminded us of your great love wherewith you have loved us all. God, I pray that you be with me this morning. I pray that uh, the meditations of my heart uh, would be acceptable in your sight. Not only my meditations, but my words would be acceptable in your sight today, God, because you are my strength and my redeemer. God, I pray that uh, your word would fall upon the good soil of our hearts. Certainly that if there's someone in this room or somebody listening online that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, that today might be that day that they would realize their need and place their faith in the risen Savior of the world. God, I pray that you'll bless now as only you can, and we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray and do ask all these things. Amen and amen. This morning, if you're here with us, uh, we're on week number three. We're continuing our series from uh, Galatians, and if you remember, Paul is writing to these uh, believers in Galatia, and and really it hadn't been a long time because in chapter one he says in verse number six he says I, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, and so he's writing to these churches which had been infiltrated quite honestly with false teachers. And so we were, we've talked about these Judaizers who had come in and infiltrated the church. And they were claiming that it was okay to believe. It was okay to trust in Jesus. But in order to truly be saved, what they were saying is that, hey, um, Gentiles, you have to be circumcised. Not only do you have to trust in Christ, not only do you have to believe that, you got to be circumcised. You also need to adhere to Moses' law. You also need to kind of fall in line with our rules, our rituals, and our regulations if you truly want to be saved. In other words, remember we've said it this way, they were adding to the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel. And so they were doing a disservice. And so the Apostle Paul was like, no, time out. I've got to write and try to correct some of these errors that were going on. And if you remember at the end of last week's message, uh, there in chapter two, and you can look in your in God's Word there in verse number sixteen. Paul introduces this this doctrine of justification, uh, which, by the way, justification is an act of God. I'll say that probably two or three times uh, this morning. It's not a it's not a process of man. It's an act of God, and so in in uh, in, in chapter two, he, he writes about this uh, this doctrine of justification which basically states that at the very second that you and I, by faith, uh, the very second that we believe, the very second that we receive the gift of God's grace, by placing our trust, our confidence, and our faith in the work of Jesus Christ, at that very moment, God considers us justified. Now, if you've never heard that word, that's something that everyone who has trusted Christ ought to, in their heart at least, I know that we have some, some folks that aren't comfortable saying amen out loudly, But in our hearts, we should all say amen Amen. when we talk about justification. Because at that moment, God says, I count you, Trevor, I count you, Kelly, I count you guys as being justified. Why? Because you did all of these great things, because you followed the rules and the regulations and the rituals, Uh, because you went and you got circumcised. No, that's not what God says. He says, I consider you, I credit you, I render you justified, even though you're not. That's good news, right? That's like getting, uh, that's like at home when I was a child, uh, being caught with my hand in the proverbial cookie jar, and my dad saying, uh, no, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to credit your brother who was uh, uh, well-behaved and didn't eat the cookies, I'm going to credit his behavior to you. That never happened, right? Right? That never happened. If I, if I got my hand caught in the proverbial cookie jar, I did something I wasn't supposed to do, judgment fell on me. But here we see this doctrine of justification. See, justification is where the righteousness of Jesus Christ, if you want to think about it simply, justification is where the righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to your account. And that's good news. Last week I actually shared at the end of the message, I shared 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse number 21 where it says, For he, remember I said this, for he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we, you and I, might be made the righteousness of God in him or Jesus Christ. And so we also have looked at over the past couple of weeks that reminder from Romans chapter 5 in verse 1 that says, Therefore being justified by faith, That's good news. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, you and I, this is good news, you and I have peace with God, not because you do this or do that or not because you say this, not because you lift up your eyes and look on the fields, even though we should. It's our justification has nothing to do with what I do. It has everything to do with what Jesus has already done. And see so Romans 5.1 when it says therefore being justified by faith that we have peace with God. That's a reminder to each and every one of us that I have peace and you have peace only, only because I have been justified by God. Because God credits Jesus' righteousness to me. And so here in Galatians chapter 3 and even on into Galatians chapter 4, Paul is essentially taking time in his letter, he's reiterating something that he has already said. He's not introducing something new. He's literally teaching uh, these Galatians, these believers in the churches of Galatia, he's just saying, hey guys, Remember, remember, this is not true what these false teachers are saying. You don't need to add anything to Jesus. Jesus actually has done everything. Your works won't save you. You can never earn your way to heaven. You can't be circumcised enough to get to heaven. The only way you're going to heaven is through Jesus Christ. If someone was picking up, though, I'll be real honest, because we're going to read this text in here in a second, and some of you are going to be like, oh, my gosh. You're going to be like, this is confusing. If somebody picked up the Bible, and, you know, they did the, the, I want to hear from you, God, and they went, phew, and it falls to Galatians chapter 3, and they start reading, they're going to be like, what is going on in this passage, right? But the beauty of it is, In context, you're going to see some amazing things. In fact, someone said that Galatians chapter 3 is like climbing a mountain. Got any hikers in here? Any people who like to hike up the side of a mountain? I can tell you I did that uh, about a year and a half ago and uh, probably started out too far. I mean, I set out to do a 10-mile hike, my first hike. Probably not smart, right? And I can tell you it was hard work. And I can tell you at the end of it all, I literally basically cried like a baby that we had finished. it. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I was hugging Casey. I was like, man, we made it. We made it through this. This passage is like climbing a mountain. But here's the beauty of this. It's hard work sometimes, guys, to get into God's word and to really understand what he's trying to say to us. But I can tell you, as we climb this mountain together this morning, I can tell you, when we get to the pinnacle, when we get to the top, all you're going to be able to see, all you're going to be able to celebrate is Jesus. And that's good. That's worth the hike, amen? If you're going up a mountain and you're going to put in some work, you're going to put in some time and effort, at the end of it all, if all you can see and celebrate is Jesus, that's good news. And so let's jump right in. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 3. And I'm going to read here for a little while. And so bear with me and try to stay with me. Try to think what's going on in the passage. And so Paul begins in verse number 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? That's a a great way to start, verse number 1. O foolish Galatians, he calls them foolish. He says, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth Crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Talking about works of the flesh here. He says, have you suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, Doeth he it by works of the law, or by hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, "...in thee shall all nations be blessed." So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Notice he's saying if you're going to follow the law, you're going to live according to the law. You're going to be living in them. Notice verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but for a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto the seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, notice what he says, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore, then serveth the law, question mark, it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Question mark God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But Scripture hath concluded under sin, that all are under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Notice verse 24 and 25. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer, I love it, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Oh, that's a hard passage to decipher, but so many rich truths in there that should encourage us this morning. And if you notice, look back with me, right away at verses 1 through 5, Paul is saying some critical things. And what's really cool is Paul actually uses... The the idea of rhetorical questions. Has any parent here ever asked a rhetorical question? It's not like you want your child to answer, right? It's just like you're asking the question to prove a point. That's exactly what Paul is doing here in verses 1 through 5. If you look at verse 1 when he says, O foolish Galatians who hath bewitched you, what he's saying is, listen guys, in the life of a believer, error must be corrected. If you're living according to error, then it must be corrected. And you remember in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul actually, he says he withstood Peter to his face because he saw that Peter was living according to error. He had backed off and he was living according to the rules and the rituals and the regulations of the Galatians in Antioch. And so Paul says, I withstood him to his face and said, hey, what are you doing? That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel you have heard. That's not the gospel you have believed. That's not the gospel that you're preaching. He says you need to live according to the faith that we have in Christ. And so error, I just put down here, look at verse 1. Error makes us foolish. Error bewitches us. By the way, the word bewitched, uh, some of you are old enough to remember that show. It means to cast a spell on. Remember? to be cast a spell on, the idea of being misled or deceived. And certainly we know from Scripture that our adversary, as a roaring lion, the Bible says, he walks about seeking whom he may devour, and the way he does it is through deception. And so error must be corrected. Error results in disobedience. Error leads us away from Jesus. In verse 2, he's talking about this fact that a believer receives the Holy Spirit, not by the works that he or she does, but by faith verse number three he's talking about the idea that we grow by faith and that we're not growing by works of the flesh he says are you now made perfect by the flesh in verse number four he says a believer suffers by faith got news for you if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior there will be times of suffering in your life by the way Uh, the Cottrells are going to Thailand, I would assert that there may be some suffering, some real physical dangers and suffering in some of those uh, individuals in Thailand trusting or placing their faith in Christ because of cultural uh, aspects. And so there's times where we suffer. In verse number five, he's just communicating that a believer actually experiences God's miraculous power in his or her life by faith, right? We're justified by faith. That's an act of God. It's his miraculous ability, his miraculous power that he does it. And all that to get to verse number 6. You say, what's the point? Well, notice what he does in verse number 6. It's an amazing thing. Paul asks all these rhetorical questions, and then he says, Hey, Judaizers, I know you're concerned about circumcision, I know you're concerned about the law. I know you're concerned about uh, Jewish tradition and regulations and rituals and everything. He said, but let's go all the way back to the beginning. Was Abraham justified by circumcision? If you know scripture, you know no. The answer is no. He wasn't circumcised at that point. He, was, he, was he justified by circumcision? Was he justified by the law? Was he justified by any other thing that he was doing? Absolutely not. So Paul, essentially, in verse 6, drops the hammer on the false teaching of the Judaizers. Look at what verse 6. He says, hey, guys, you're polluting. You're polluting what God alone has done. And so in verse number 6, he says, even as Abraham, notice the word there, believed. Even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Paul, at this point, is quoting all the way back from Genesis chapter 15, where he talks about uh, the idea in Genesis 15 uh, about Abraham. In fact, it's actually verse number 6, oddly enough, of Genesis chapter 15, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed and that he counted it to him for righteousness. And so here's the point. Paul's statement about Abraham actually reveals a requirement to you and I today. You want to be justified? Everybody should say, Yeah, I want to be justified by God. If you want to be justified, here's the requirement that Paul reveals to us you got to exercise faith. That's it. You got to believe. He says, As Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, that's all you got to do. You got to believe. You have to have faith. Look at verse number eight of our text. Verse 8 says, and the scripture foreseeing. Notice it says foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through what? Works. Does it say through works? Through what? Say it. Through faith. It says preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying in thee shall all nations be blessed. So now. First in verse 6, he's quoting from Genesis 15. Now in verse 8, he's going even further. He's quoting from Genesis chapter 12. And so turn to Genesis chapter 12, because I want you to see the the few verses in Genesis chapter 12 that kind of tie this. It's almost like we're making a sandwich. And for me, it would be a peanut butter and marshmallow cream sandwich. For you, it might be peanut butter and jelly For some of you, it might be ham and cheese or turkey and cheese. For me, it's peanut butter and marshmallow cream. Uh, I have one rule in my house, and that's that we keep a stock of marshmallow cream in the pantry. You're like, that is so disgusting. Now I know why you look the way you look. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's so good. Believe me. (laughs) Believe me, it's really good. (laughs) Look at Genesis chapter 12. Because here in Genesis chapter 12, you and I are able to actually see how Abraham receives this promise. In Genesis chapter 12, look at verse, I guess I ought to turn to, in verse number 1. Verse number 1 and following, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, this is before he calls him Abraham, he says, He said to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation and will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In reality, what does Abraham do here? Does he do anything to receive this blessing? Does he do, do anything to receive the promise? No, he's a basically, he's he's literally a pagan. He's literally a pagan, he's a heathen. And God says, He says, Here's what I'm gonna do with you. Guys? Before we come to Christ, this is what he does. He says, Here's what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to open up the eyes of your understanding so that you understand that your sinfulness and the law that was even taught in Scripture has only got one purpose, and its one purpose is to draw you back to the foot of the cross, to where my son gave up his life for the sins of the world. And so here we see that Abraham does absolutely zilch, he does nothing to receive God's grace. It's a gift that God gives. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God says, hey, Abraham, if you leave your home, if you leave your friends, if you leave your job, if you leave your country, here's what I'm going to do. If you'll do all these things, if you'll trust me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a father of a new nation. I'm going to bless you. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. And in our text, if you go back, guys, show verse number six, and the Bible says, and Abraham believed God. God says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to get up and go. I need you to leave. I need you to leave your job. And we know from Scripture, if you do a real thorough study, Abraham, or Abram at this time, he had a few dollars, so to speak, in our mind. He was a wealthy man, right? And so God says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to get up and go to Thailand. I need you to leave it all behind. I need you to get up and go to Warantan. I need you to leave it all behind. I need you to get up and go wherever the Lord says to go. We need to be willing to do that at any time of our life, whether you're 25, 55, or 75. Hello. Maybe there's a senior saint that needs to be a missionary in Thailand. You're like, no, please don't say that again. Just saying. Just saying. God does this with Abraham. He says, listen. He says, no works. Uh, no works are involved in my promise. He says, all I need you to do, Abraham, is believe that I'm God and believe me enough to actually do what I say to do. In fact, show Hebrews chapter eleven eight 8, because in Hebrews chapter eleven eight, 8, that whole great chapter of faith, the Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, notice the word, he obeyed. It says he obeyed, and here's the really cool part. It says he obeyed and he went out, but the last part is really cool, not knowing whither he went. He has no clue where he's going. God says, get up and leave. I'm going to show you where you need to go. Uh, Lord, it would be nice to know where you're going to send me. Don't worry about it. I'm in control. Can you imagine? Can you imagine loading up the family like like? like the Beverly Hillbillies. And you don't even know where you're going. You got the old vehicle, you got the chair, rocking chair, and granny's on top. And God says, don't worry about where you're going, just go. I can't even imagine it. But this is what the Bible says, that Abraham, he has no clue where God's going to take him. But he completely and without question, he exercises faith and he trusts God. Folks, if I can encourage you to anything this morning, trust God. Trust God in your life. We live in a time where we're placing our trust in so many different things. And what I found out even in my life is that when I've trusted things of this world, they invariably let me down. But when I trust God, He never lets me down. See, Abraham, he has a hearing faith. God says, I need you to do all these things. And Abraham, he literally obeys and does what God told him to do. Isn't that what Romans 10, 17 says? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Oh, it's an incredible thing. Abraham hears the word. He believes God and he immediately obeys because Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 4 simply says that he departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. What is the Lord saying to you today? What is the Lord saying to me? What is he asking us to do for his honor and for his glory? Listen, those who exercise faith in God through Jesus Christ are truly the sons of Abraham. And some of you may have remembered that song. You know, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just, let's just what? Praise the Lord. Let's just what? Praise the Lord. Oh, say it like you mean it. Praise the Lord. What? I know, Josh, I said I wasn't going to sing. <laughs> I told Josh I wasn't going to sing that song this morning. He goes, no, 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 sing it. <laughs> oh, Father Abraham, he had many sons, and here's the really cool part. Because he had many sons, guess what? And we, by faith, have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You're one. You're one. You're one. I'm one. And guess what? So let's just praise the Lord. You see, God's promises have nothing to do with our heritage or nationality. Thank you. It has nothing to do with our heritage or nationality. It has nothing to do with my merit or my works. It's like... As Ayla was saying, she did all these great things in the church, and that's good things to do. And and listen, I believe that you ought to worship the Lord. I believe that you ought to serve the Lord. I believe that you ought to be generous with your time, with your treasures, with your talents, and on and on, and we could spend all day talking about our service and stuff. But I don't believe that those things ever earn us salvation. I believe that because I love Jesus so much, And I'm thankful for everything that he's done. I believe that that just ought to to work in my heart. It does in my heart. I just believe it ought to work in everybody's heart the same way. That we would want to worship him. That we would want to serve him. That we would want to reach out to others with the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. That we would want to be involved in missions. That we would want to be involved in the local New Testament ministry. That we would want to sing in the choir. That we would want to be a part of the praise team. That we would want to change a baby's diaper for Jesus. Oh, now you're getting personal. (laughs) You had to bring the baby's diaper into it, didn't you? I mean, it's crazy. Think about how good our God is. Oh, he's a good, good father. Oh, we had no problem singing that. and It was amazing when we heard the first part of it in Spanish, and we were like, oh, that's so nice. Oh, listen, the Lord has given everything to us. It was accounted as righteousness for Abraham simply because he believed God. God told Abraham, I will accept you and I will bless you if you believe me. And that's exactly what he's saying today. Look at verse number 10. The first part of verse 10 says, For as many as are of the works of law are under the curse. By the way, the word curse there in the Greek actually means to be condemned or doomed to punishment by the righteous judgment of God. That means that you and I are condemned, doomed to the righteous judgment of God. As I said, when I was a child, there were times that I was cursed in my father's house. I was doomed to the judgment that was going to come my way. But how do I know that this is for sure? Like you read the verse, this first part of verse 10, it says, For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse. We'll keep reading verse number 10. Look at the last part of verse number 10. It says, for it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. Notice what it says. I put it in brackets in my Bible. It is evident. Why? For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of law. That redeemed reminds us that we have been ransomed, we have been rescued, we have been purchased from the slave market of sin by Jesus Christ. And it says, being made a curse for us, for it is written. Now be careful with this last part. It says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Now we have to be careful with the interpretation, the last part of verse number 13. This does not mean that a man is cursed because he is executed on a tree. What it means is that when a man was executed on the tree, he was put on that tree because he actually was doomed for that destruction. Now think about it. Jesus Christ willingly put himself on the tree because he became the one who was condemned for our sinfulness. How amazing is that? That God would love us so much that he would tell his son, you got to go. In the fullness of time, Galatians 4 says, God sent his son being made of a virgin, right? In Galatians 4, 4 and 4, 5, to redeem them that were under the law. We'll look at that next week. But here's the thing. Here we see that the bearing of the curse of the law, by doing it, Jesus opened up the doors to blessing for all of humankind. He opens up The floodgates, so to speak, for all of us. And by becoming the curse of the law, he actually fulfills the ultimate promise. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 where God says, In thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. God wasn't talking about Abraham. He was talking about the eventual seed of his son Jesus Christ. Oh, listen... This is an amazing thing. Any person who believes and places their faith in Jesus Christ, the fact that he bore the curse of the law for us, God says, I accept you. And God says, I render you as being righteous, even though, as I gave you the illustration last week, you're not. Oh, I count it to your account. Faith in him, faith in his love and in his promise is our only hope for salvation. Flip over with me to Romans chapter 4. By the way, we don't have time this morning but i want to challenge you read galatians chapter three this passage again and then go back and read romans chapter four they're literally uh mirror images of one another but look at romans chapter four in god's word in romans chapter four drop down because in verses 19 and following we actually see the depth of abraham's faith in verse number 19 the bible says in being not weak in faith He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. In other words, when Abraham believed God, he believed him completely, right? He believes him that he's gonna do a great thing through him. He believes that he's gonna be the... father of many nations, even though he's past childbearing years, even though this doesn't seem like a reality for him. And then in Genesis 15, 16, 17, you can read on where God says, hey, I'm going to give you a son, and that doesn't happen, so Sarah takes matters in her own hand, and then God re-com- uh, recommits to the promise of Abraham, right? And then we see that God gives him uh, the promised son, but notice what he says. It says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong, notice these words, in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. In other words, Abraham says, I'm just going to keep walking in obedience. I know it seems like a long time, like 25 years, and I'm still waiting for this, uh, this promise son." but I'm just going to keep walking in faith in obedience to God. And so notice what it says. And being fully persuaded that he had promised he was able to perform, verse 22, and therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but notice whose sake it's written for. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, notice these next few words, if we... Believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Abraham's justification, again, was an act of God, not a process of man. Listen, I put this down. Works just won't work. Think about it. That's a quick way to think about it. If you're trying to work your way to heaven, I want you to know that Scripture teaches us that works just won't work. The only way we're going to heaven is through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so just like Abraham's example of faith, we should be led to walk in faith and also to walk in obedience. I think about so many times that Abraham could have said, God, this, this obviously, you're not keeping your promises, right? Time's going on, and I don't see uh, the, the results of your promises. And you think even this. Think about Genesis chapter 22. At this point, Abraham and Sarah now have the promise of God's son. They have Isaac. And the Lord says, hey, congratulations, gave you this child Isaac, and you've got the son that I promised you. Now I want you to go up and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. In Genesis chapter 22, that's what happens. And if you read the passage, you go up and then in verses 11 and 12, the angel speaks And here's Abraham. Abraham's ready. He's got the knife. He stretches forth his hand. He's got the knife. He's he's ready to literally slay his own son. And the angel says, stretch forth not thy hand. He says, don't do it. Basically, God is saying, don't do it. And if you go down and you keep reading the story, the angel comes to him a second time in verse 15. And then in verses 16 and following, here's what the Bible says. By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing. Well what thing? It says because thou hast done this thing and has not withheld thy son thy only son that in thee in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and watch the phrasing and thy seed singular shall possess the gate of his enemies and in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. I have a question. Was Abraham earning God's blessing at this point by doing what he did? Absolutely not. Verse number 16 says, because thou hast done this thing, because you have actually exercised faith, believing that I was going to supply the ram in the thicket, believing that I had a purpose, believing that I was in control, believing in what I asked you to do, because you have done this thing, I'm going to bless you. Not because you were you are earning some type of merit or salvation. You see, Paul's picture, all the way back over here in Galatians chapter 3, he's reminding them that God had made the promise to Abraham, Abraham believes God, and then Abraham was blessed. And folks, here's where the rubber meets the road for us. For Abraham, his belief was evidenced in how he lived. His belief was evidenced in how he lived. And this is what Paul is trying to say again to the Galatians. He's also, he's putting down the false teaching, but at the same time he's reminding the Galatians, listen, you were not saved by works. You have not suffered by works. You did not receive the Holy Spirit by works. He says, who has bewitched you? Who has fooled you? You have become foolish because you have listened to this false teaching. He says that your faith should be evidenced in how You live. Wow. In verses 16 and 18 back in our text, the Bible says, Now to Abraham and his seed, singular, were the promises made. And he saith not, and to seeds, as of many, are plural, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Folks, God has given you and I some precious promises in his word. In Romans chapter 4, in verse number 13, the Bible says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham and to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Look at verse 19 in our text as we wrap it up. Verse 19 says that the law was given to reveal sin. It says, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. It was given because of sin. It was never given to make us righteous. It was actually given to make us more aware of our sinfulness. Why? Because you and I could never, ever, ever adhere in thought and word and deed to every restriction of the law. Notice verse 19, it says the law was temporary. It says, till thy seed should come to whom the promise was made. The law was given by a mediator, through an angel and a mediator. And so verse 21 and 22, it says, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. It says, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness would have been given by the law. But the scripture hath concluded that all are under sin. That confirms what we know in Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and come short. And so the law says, that it says here, but the scripture has concluded we're all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to all them that believe. Listen, when writing to the saints, the apostle Paul he put it this way, he says in verse number 8 and 9 of chapter 3, he says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them dung that I may win Christ. But, Lotus, verse number 9, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. See, that's what the, right, the law does. See, if we adhere to the law, then what we do is we get all puffed up. We Look at me, look what I did. Right? I kept the law. I was a good Christian today. I went to worship with the body of believers, the church, and so I have checked that off of my mark. Look how good of a Christian I am. Now I can look down my brow at the sinfulness of others without considering our own sinfulness. No, notice what he says. He says, That I might be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith." Oh, if you get it, folks, please. The law, the purpose of the law was not to save, but to drive us back to Jesus. It was to drive us back to Jesus all along. Galatians says that it was our schoolmaster. Look at the last two verses. It says it's our schoolmaster. By the way, the Greek word for schoolmaster actually means a trusted slave or servant who was in charge of a child's moral values or welfare. And so here's the picture of a schoolmaster. In Jewish culture, a schoolmaster had particularly one responsibility among others. They would take the child to school each day. And then at the end of the day, they were responsible to go to the school, pick up the child, and make sure that the child was delivered safely back to the home. And you guys are like, what's the big deal? Paul is saying that's what the law is. The law was literally like a schoolmaster that was meant to deliver you and I safely to the Savior. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 concludes, and it's so beautiful, it says, But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Once Jesus comes in, there's no need for the law. There's no need for the guardian. Once we have heard the word, once we've heard the word of God, once we have believed God's word, and once we have trusted in Jesus Christ, God renders you and I righteous. Not because I'm righteous, but because his son is righteous. And because he loves his son so much, he looks at our faith and he says, wow, wow, Trevor, you placed your faith in my son? Good news, I'm going to count you as being righteous, even though I know you're not. Wow, Pastor Greg, you trust in my son? I'm going to count you as being righteous, even though we all know that you're not. You're just a dirty, filthy, rotten sinner. Your righteousness is a filthy rags. Oh, I'm so glad that I no longer need a schoolmaster. But folks, if you're here and you have never trusted Christ, you still have a schoolmaster hanging around in your life. The schoolmaster is still present. And so my, my, my admonition, my begging of you today would be, get rid of the schoolmaster. You don't need him any longer. Jesus Christ has given his life for the sins of the world. That means my sin and your sin and sins of everyone in this room, everyone that's listening. Oh, listen, God renders us righteous when we place our faith in his son. I remember years ago, and some of you are way too young to remember this song, and some of you that are older will remember it was probably in the 90s that there was a Christian artist by the name of Michael English. Anybody remember him? I think he's probably like 65, 70 years old now. I don't know. Probably like Tom's age, right? And he's still singing. <laughs> Tom. He's still singing. He's still, still doing it. But he used to sing this song. And there have been other songs that come out recently. And he didn't write the song, but he, he kind of made it kind of take off. And it was a song entitled, In Christ Alone, Will I Glory. And I used to sing it here years ago, and I won't do that this morning, but listen to the lyrics. Pam, don't smile, I'm not going to sing it. Listen to the lyrics. In Christ alone will I glory, though I could pride myself in battles won. For I've been blessed beyond measure, and by His strength alone I overcome. Oh, I could stop and count successes like diamonds in my hands, but those trophies could never equal to the grace by which I stand. In Christ alone do I glory, for only by His grace I am redeemed, for only His tender mercy could reach beyond my weakness to my need. And now I seek no greater honor in just to know Him more. And to count my gains but losses to the glory of my Lord. In Christ alone I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. My source of strength, my source of hope is in Jesus Christ alone. And I pray that if you're here this morning and you have never, never placed your faith in the hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ, that you would do it. And you say, Well, what do I do to do it? I got some good news for you. He already did it. He already did it. What do you have to do? You have to believe. You have to, you have to literally, you have to believe that he did it, that he, that God sent his son to that cross. Literally, this is what you have to do. You have to say, I actually believe that. You have, the Bible says that if we will repent of our sins, we actually all know we're sinners. I don't need to tell you that. No one needs to tell me that. If we will turn from our sins, right? The Bible says, if we'll place our faith in Jesus Christ, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? For with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We we can read all of these passages, but here's the real quick, easy point: is that if you believe that God did this for you, and that He did it for me, and you'll place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, which you and I did nothing to deserve, God says, "I will count you as being righteous." I will. I will. I will. Not only. Will not only forgive you of your sin, but I will count you as being righteous, and you will be justified by your faith. And the good news is Romans five says we will have peace with God because of that. Because of that, exercising of faith. If you're here and you already know Jesus Christ, where the rubber meets the road for us, it's like Abraham's life. If you have exercised faith in Jesus Christ, it should not because Greg says so. But because your heart and your desire should be so, it should be evidenced in the way that you live your life. And so I pray that you'll make a decision today that will bring honor and glory to the Lord. You need to trust Jesus Christ, call out upon the name of the Lord. You say, well, what do I say? (laughs) say, Listen, there's no magic secret potion that if you say it wrong, you'll get it wrong. The reality is it's real simple. You say, Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my heart, come into my life, and change me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. Listen, I want to have that relationship with you. If you ask God to forgive you, if you ask God to come into your life, he'll do exactly that. You say, what else do I have to do? Well, I can encourage you how to live for Jesus after that. But, oh, my gracious, today the decision is in your hands. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.